Hey guys, this is Miles. I just wanted to call attention to something that's pretty obvious before we get into today's episode. This interview was recorded very early on in the genesis of Better With You. So this is before we had high quality recording equipment, before we had an episode format, and before anyone, especially myself, knew what we were doing. This is not entirely a bad thing because if you can get past a lo-fi sound, you'll find an honest and caring interview underneath. Stick with it. We promise it's worth it. Hello, my name is Anthony Esser. And my name is Miles Woodfield, and welcome to our podcast, Better With You. Here, we bring together people from all walks of life to dive deep into unique stories of how friendships can shape and guide us for the better. A good friend is family that you find along the way. I actually didn't like him when I first met him. (laughs) Anyway. It's beautiful to have friends. So you're pretty much the greatest friend I've ever had. Aww. So, um, I'm wondering, through the course of our relationship and our ups and downs and the things that you and I have gone through together, have there ever been any big issues that have big personal things that have kind of thrown a wrench in the gears of our friendship? Um, yeah, I mean, I think about the the one period of time where we went not really talking for a little bit um, when I started dating my now wife, um, who you had dated <laughs> previously, yeah, briefly. That. <laughs> uh, so that, I mean, I don't know. In retrospect, it's not a huge issue, but that definitely caused a riff for a little bit. I thought it was going to be cool. It was evidently not cool at the time. Um, and then in... And then in uncharacteristically bro-ish fashion, we eventually just kind of decided to get over it and move on. So have there ever been any um, things about me or things about you that have made it really difficult to, to, to move past? I don't know. I mean, we've seemed to move past a lot. Um, I know I have other friends where um, there's been certain of their traits or like worldviews that have been really difficult. Um Like, I'm really into my faith, and there are some friends that I have had that became, at some points in their life, really hostile to, like, religion and um, organized religion and stuff. So that kind of formed a rift that wasn't really very easy to to overcome. Yeah, so so, um, I interviewed my friend Nick, who... Nick and I have this other mutual friend who has... um, personality things that sometimes make it difficult to uh, maintain the friendship and sometimes make it difficult to kind of be present in the way that he he needs because there's a lot of confusion as to roles and language and those sort of things so um nick also has this roommate named Luis, who's a really good guy and he is sort of an idiosyncratic personality as well and um nick sort of just attracts people like us who are who are a little a little different um, he's a really good guy, and I really want you to hear this. So let's get into it. At the age of 30, I've known Nick for a long, long time. We met in fourth grade, and he is one of the few friends that has stayed with me that long, a testament to his loyalty and his character. He and I grew up near each other, and sadly, we spent a few years apart as adults as we found places to settle. After traveling around the country and around the world, Nick and I landed 20 minutes away from each other. 
We spent a weekend together on Lake Erie and got a chance to talk about his friend Luis in a clubhouse of a condo community while we were up there. Uh, I am 30 years old. I am a student again, working on a second degree. Um, so back in school with a lot of younger folks and uh, trying to change careers, currently living in Columbus, Ohio. What are you switching careers from and to? Uh, I'm coming from computer animation. Uh, my original degree was in animation, and it was a lot of fun, but the jobs are all short-term contracts. It's very difficult to find permanent employment. So I bounced around and moved to a lot of different states, and uh, I'm tired of moving. So working on a computer science degree right now, and uh, I'll be finishing at the end of next year. Where have you lived? Uh, I've lived in Florida, Louisiana, Alabama, California, and I spent a year in Japan as well. Uh, do you have a favorite place out of all of those? Not really a favorite place. Every place has its appeals. I didn't really care for Louisiana much. Uh, probably just the city I was living in. Um, favorites? Orlando was nice, and uh, Los Angeles was fun, but far too busy. So, so um, uh, I understand you had a roommate that followed you to many of those locations? Yeah, so I became friends with a great guy named uh, Luis Felbuena. And uh, he was a Venezuelan student who was studying in the U.S. And uh, we were both studying animation. We both had similar interests in games and movies and uh, became friends very quickly. And uh, spent a lot of time during our uh, education hanging out and playing video games. Typical college kid stuff. Uh, After graduation, uh, we went our separate ways. He ended up going back to Venezuela. And uh, because he was on a student visa, he wasn't given the option to stay. Uh, And he kept applying, trying to get into different positions uh, throughout U.S. and Canada. And um, in the end, he ended up getting what was called a, uh, I don't, it's a a permanent visa, a resident alien card. He was allowed to move back to U.S. And at that time, we had just finished doing a freelance gig for a company in Michigan and had a pretty good lump sum of money we used, and uh, we decided we were going to move out to L.A. and try to find some work there. So that, that was really it uh, until recently. Uh, when I decided to get back to school, uh, Luis was living with his brother in Florida. He was uh, looking to move out, and at the time he was uh, working for uh, Best Buy or uh, Office Max or one of those stores. So for him, moving store to store wasn't really a huge deal, so he decided that... Uh, if I was going to be moving in my own place, he'd like to room with me, and I thought that was a great idea because I didn't really know anybody in Columbus, so he was up for it and ended up, actually, before he moved, got a job offer with a much bigger company and was making better money now, so awesome. ended up working out well for him because they wanted him in Ohio anyways, so. Cool. Um, could you describe him? Like, what, what kind of personality does he have? Luis, uh, Luis is very much an introvert. He's very quiet, and... You'll get the impression that he doesn't uh, socialize at all, but it's more that you have to know what his interests are. It worked out quickly for me because we have a lot of the same interests in video games and movies. Uh, someone like yourself who's more interested in music and books and things like that probably would have a much more hard uh, time connecting with him. But uh, once you get something that he likes, he'll open up and he's you know really actually very personable. That and cooking. We both like cooking, so we do a lot of cooking together. I've met Luis a bunch of times, and the general consensus is that he's completely overwhelmed by me and my personality and how I act. 
Nick's versatility as a friend can be seen in his ability to be present to all of his relationships. Nick meets people where they are, and in my experience, is completely non-judgmental in the process. Well, has his introversion been difficult for your friendship, though? Not really. Um, I am. I'm, I'm a pretty fifty-fifty. I can be introverted and I can be extroverted. It just depends on the situation. Mm. So I was able to connect enough to know that it isn't that uh, he doesn't want to socialize. He just until you actually go up and say, "Hey, Luis, you know, let's uh, let's go do something." He's not going to come to you. So it was never really a big deal with us. That. I knew that going out to a group of friends, you know, or going out with a group of five or six people was just not going to appeal to him. So never really became an issue. As far as being roommates, um, he had a habit of not telling me when something bothered him. So if I was doing something like leaving a mess here or there, he wouldn't mention it until it got to be too much and he would explode. Um, but once he realized all I had to do was be like, hey, you know, that's an issue. Let's, let's talk it out. It hasn't really been an issue since. Was that, that? That was in Los Angeles that that started happening. Sure. This happened to Nick and I in high school. I was trying to record music and I didn't have any equipment to do so. His father was in a band, so we borrowed his equipment and I stayed at his house while Nick monitored my levels and I played. He put up with my obsessive nature for a long time, never losing his cool, even though I knew I was upsetting him. It's easy to see how Nick and Luis can get along so well. Was that a, uh, a conversation that had to be initiated beforehand or was it more of a gradual realization on his part that he didn't talk about it? No, it was something that had to be initiated. So uh, he, him and I got into it once, of course, all roommates do at some point. Sure. So him and I got into it and got into arguing with each other and uh, that's kind of when it became apparent that, you know, if we we're going to keep uh, hanging out and keep living together, we probably had to work those things out. Um, and like I said, we were already friends, so that helped out a lot. You know, it made it easier to begin that dialogue and say let's find some compromises and uh, figure out what bothers you and what bothers me and what we can change to make it work. So so the trust being there already would help the oh, yeah. dialogue and hard moments. Um, Definitely. The fact that we'd already known each other by that point for five years. Even when he was in Venezuela, I still talked to him on a regular basis. We played sure. games online. So I still talked to him you know, two or three nights a week playing games. So sure. We never really lost that connection, lost that friendship. Um, yeah, had it been someone that I had just started rooming with and I'd only met just then, that probably would have been a lot more difficult to do. Sure. So in terms of roommates, you and I were, for a very brief amount of time, actual roommates. Um, yep. I think our not living together might have been a saving grace <laughs> for our relationship for a while. I think that's true. Uh, yeah, but... Um, there was a time when you very altruistically came into my life and you stayed with my wife and I after, um, right before and actually up until about a month after uh, my first daughter, Ruby, was born. Yeah. So I know that Carrie and I were tired of you by the time we, you, you left, throwing no shade at all. It was just a very stressful time and we definitely appreciate everything that you did. Um, but I guess I'm wondering what your take on that situation is and why did you do it and how did you balance the friend and caregiver kind of moment um, there? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an that was an interesting circumstance, right? Because I think I was in a time in my life where I was looking for, um, you know, who am I going to be outside of college? I, you know, it was right after I graduated um, or was getting ready to graduate, I think, um, undergrad. And, and so, 
You know, I think that we look one way that we refer to friends as chosen family, and we've talked about feeling like family before. And I think there's that search, um, you know, to find a people you belong to. And so living with you guys was a little bit a part of that. I think like, you know, where do I fit in here? What, what could my role be in a unit like this? But I think part of the tension besides just normal personality stuff is that you guys were already a family, you know, you just got married and you were having a kid and, um, you know, there's a certain dynamic that you needed to work out on your own apart from me. And I was kind of this like weird appendage that was there. And, um, it was interesting and, and fun and not necessarily hurting too much, but it was just kind of like, yo, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't about you right now. Um, so, th- so there was definitely some tension there, but, um, yeah, I also like learned a lot. And so it was, it was really cool and, and taught me a lot when I went to start my own family. Yeah. I, but yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely, um, Again, appreciated you being there. Um, but you're right, there was that dynamic of Carrie and Ruby and I trying to hash out who we were. You know, and we, we never had a kid before. Right. And we were, you know, so impoverished and <laughs> scared and, um, you know, ignorant to how to do that. So um, having another person sort of to host um, might have been perhaps more than we, we should have had at the time. But. Um, in any event, we definitely love the time with you, and I, th- I think it did solidify our friendship pretty pretty hardcore in that moment. Our conversation quickly turned to our friend Bill, a person we have both known since fourth grade as well. Bill struggles with mental illness, and this has changed the dynamics of our friendships dramatically, depending on the day. Um, so you, we both have a mutual friend. Um, from back home who we've been going to school with forever mm-hmm. and uh, I'm interested to hear uh, your kind of take on your friendship with him as well could you tell me a little bit about the person who you are who I'm referencing yes yes so Bill uh, Bill's a great guy he he wants to be everybody's friend he's really nice but he also stresses out about far too many things which you know he has his share of issues so it's nothing that he can control, and I don't uh, hold that against him. But uh, Bill is either 100% or 0%. And uh, once you come to realize that, that uh, he may come on really strong, want to do something, want to hang out all the time, that's just who he is. So, you know, he'll uh, text you once a day to see what's going on, even though he knows full well that you're going to be doing something. But, you know, he just wants to keep that contact and keep talking, and I can appreciate that. I understand it's... Uh, it does get tiresome sometimes, especially when uh, you get a 3 a.m. text and it's like, I know you didn't have work tomorrow, but I do. Don't text me at 3 a.m. But uh, then you get another one the next night. <laughs> Bill's depressive and has bipolar. So he gets into these uh, manic and depressive episodes and you can see them. They're remarkably clear to fi- clearly defined, more so than a lot of people have known. So when he's manic, you're going to know it. And when he's depressed, you're going to know it. Um, yeah, that, it, it does become difficult um, because when he's manic, he's fine. He's fun. He's good to be around, obviously. You know, it's the nature of that. But when he's depressed, nothing can console him. He is, you know, eternally depressed. And it's just something he has to work through. Um, and he still wants to socialize, but a lot of times it's difficult to socialize during that period because nothing seems to matter. And uh, when you get that level of apathy, it's, it's real hard to be around. 
how do you how do you balance the uh, line between friend and caretaker and like 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 obviously you said he has to kind of work through things himself but you know friends take care of each other to a degree as well so where do you draw the line at that and how do you kind of skirt that that is a difficult line and uh, it's all kind of up to you to decide on what you want to be you can be both a friend and a caretaker but you also need to I guess acknowledge that you know you're not the one having the problem and ultimately you, you can be there and be supportive but you're not going to fix their problems um, that's just not something that you're capable of doing as an outside person so the best thing you could do is just be there listen and try to you know if they want to call and talk even if it is at three in the morning if they're in a particularly bad spot the best you could do is just listen um, and you can try to interject or suggest but a lot of times you know it's again you're an outside source you don't know what they're going through of the three of us, Nick, Bill, and I, Nick has always been viewed as a steady one. As long as I can remember, I have never seen him cry, yell, or lose control of himself. This consistency is a trait that people like Bill and I value as a way to compensate for our wild moods. Do you, so, do you find that approach to be effective? Or is it more just like what you think you have to do? Or is it more so with some of my friends than others. Bill, it's kind of a 50-50 it's difficult because a lot of times I think it actually compounds and makes him feel worse. The fact he's saying it loud and he seriously believes that there's not, you know, things are not going to get better. So it's almost like him talking, well, tornado him and fire. Yeah, him exactly. And, if, and sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't. So like I said, it's like a 50, 50 with him. True. But if he wants to talk and if that's what he wants to do, I'm willing to listen. Um, you know, I, I try to be there every time I can, but, uh, as depressive episodes tend to be, they tend to happen at night, you know, when you're alone with your thoughts. True. At least that's the way it is with me. So since he's gotten into a relationship, it seems like he's gotten better. And I think it's that he's not alone in his basement all by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, got someone else there to socialize with. You know, even when they're in an argument, I still think he, overall he seems happier than he did before. Right. So. I got a call from Nick this evening. He proposed to his longtime girlfriend and asked me to be his best man. I graciously accepted and was happy to hear that he was going to live his life with his new family. I'm very happy right now. So I know for a fact um, that you have at least one friend with a mood diagnosis. Um, And I know for a fact that you have at least one good friend who um, you talk to frequently with a mood diagnosis and I guess I wonder how do you handle that in um, the moments of the crying and the panicking and the uh, fear you know because you're obviously not a clinician you're not there to save anybody's life right but you're also obviously a good friend and um, you know you, you are you are compassionate enough to the cause that you would want to help in any way that you can so how do you how do you how do you balance those um feelings of wanting to help but also like knowing your limitations in the the situation yeah sure i you know i think when it comes to helping people supporting people a big prerequisite is trust um you know i mean when you talk about like even when you get trained in cpr or something like that where you have like legitimate skills to contribute to a crisis situation um they give you a card you know and you have to announce yourself and and there's certain even basic like fundamental trust that you establish with people before offering them help 
Um, and I think even, you know, even though I'm not a clinician, the kind of support that I've given friends, uh, you and other people in, in some kind of crisis is, uh, even the little support that I've offered is, has come only after I've established that trust. You know, we've been friends for a long time and, and talked about a lot of things and been open with each other. And, um, there's kind of an understanding that, um, you know, you are open to hearing the things that I have to, to tell you or, or other people and whether that's, you need to go get other help outside of me and just kind of being that encouragement to go seek those, those proper avenues of, of support, um, I'm lucky to have some of the skills to kind of like help people calm down and, and to actively listen and, and, uh, test some of their anxieties a little bit. But, um, but like I said, I think the big thing there has just been like building trust with people. And then that trust and support, um, really speaks that just like you're cared for. And I think for a friend, more than managing a crisis or like managing emotional um, disorders or, or you know diagnoses and things like that, it's communicating that somebody cares for you. I felt, I felt very similarly when you were getting married and you were having you know the the anxiety and the and then the trepidation and the <laughs> the not not you know not like the, I don't want to do this, but more like the how do I do this? Right, um, right. Building up to it and uh, you know. When you called me the four dozen times that you called me the week <laughs> up until getting, you know, you, you getting proposed or you getting, you proposing, right. um, there, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to, you know, make this happen for you. I wasn't trying to save you. I mean, you can make your choices any way that you want to make them, but I just wanted to make sure, like you said, that you knew that we did, no matter what you chose, support you. And that, um, I think, goes a lot further. I mean, personally, I, I, don't, I don't know if you agree with me, but it goes a lot further than trying to come in like a messiah and, you know, clean clean house and just be like, you're saved and you're saved and you're saved. And, you know, that, that doesn't, you know, you're allowed to make mistakes and I'm allowed to feel my feelings and, and, and just making sure that we're there for each other at the end of all of that crap is really what I think we're looking for and just a reassurance in that. All right, well... I am very glad that I got to talk to Nick and get his take on his uh, very interesting friendships. And um, I'm glad that you got to kind of hear what he had to say because I think that um, people like him are very genuinely good men who do genuinely good things for, for no reason other than it's the right thing to do. So Yeah, it's, um, been, uh, it's been cool. Nick's a great guy, and it was interesting to hear these stories. I hadn't heard about them before, so... Um, really awesome. He's, he, he's got a million of them. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll have to have him back again then. Definitely. Better with you is hosted by Anthony Esser and Miles Woodfield, edited and produced by Pat Hicks with some help from our creative producer, Sarah Bisha. I played the music on this episode on my beloved Gibson mandolin. A shout-out goes to Andy Bisha and the folks at New Radio Media. Today's episode was mixed and edited by Anthony Esser. If you like this show, remember to give us a review on iTunes and follow us on social media at Better With You Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Making this podcast is awesome and is always better with you.